met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. episode of Subconscious Realms. I'm your host, General Lee, and in attendance, my co-host for this evening is the phenomenal artist. Um, he's also an elite level researcher, um, Sir Robbie Marks. Now then, Robbie. Hey, how you doing? I'm good, thanks, mate. Uh, and for tonight, uh, we're joined by um, an author of God's Flesh, uh, The True History of the Sacred Mushroom, He's also the host and creator of Logos Media's um, Jan Irving. Uh, now then, Jan. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Hello, mate. Uh, it's, thanks uh, for joining just, us. Just a quick correction. It's God's Flesh, Teo Nanakotl, the true oh. history of the sacred mushroom. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, no Sorry, worries. Mate. Happens. So um, before we begin, um, would you like to let everybody know what they can get hold of you, please? Uh, and Robbie? Well, sure. Uh, people can reach me on the ca- contact form on my website at logosmedia.com. That's L O G O S media.com. And uh, if anybody wants a uh, numbered and signed copy of the new book, they can also get it on the store page on the website. I think there's about 48 of them left. I think uh, Robert got number 47. Uh, so, uh, you know, we got about uh, 48 of those left still going out. So when they're gone, they're gone. And then uh, I'll probably just leave it to Amazon to sell it after that. But they won't be numbered at that point. No problem, mate. Nice one. Uh, Robert, do you want to let me know what he told you, please, mate? Yeah. So um, in regard to the um, book itself, um you know, it basically highlights a lot of what Gordon Lawson did in regard to cherry picking certain information um, in regard to MKUltra and Subproject 58. And basically, um, you know, to start out, maybe um, let's explore a little more um, what Lawson was doing in regard to, um, you know, manipulating some of this information to try to create a narrative to sell um, in regard to culture creation? Well, sure. So, you know, I originally got involved in investigating Gordon Wasson because uh, early on in 2008, I was writing uh, this book, The Holy Mushroom, Evidence of Mushrooms in Judeo-Christianity. And this, uh, the subtitle is uh, A Critical Reevaluation of the Schism Between John and Malegro and R. Gordon Wasson on the on the theory of the theory 
on the entheogenic origins of Christianity presented in the sacred mushroom and the cross. And, you know, at that time, I was a big proponent of Allegro's work. I'm not really anymore, although I am, for full disclosure, I am the publisher of Allegro's book. But uh, I gained the publishing rights in 2009 before I learned what I know today. And Allegro didn't understand the concept of Christian logos, uh, which means reason, logic, truth, reality, etc., and isn't about uh, being high. So at the time, I wasn't aware of that. But in this, in the investigation and in writing this book, uh, I realized that Wasson was just a really nefarious character and writing a lot of uh, disinformation. And he had information on Allegro's background that unless he was some type of intelligence agent, there was no way he could have had. And I published all of that in that book in 2008. Um, just laying it out. But one thing that I didn't publish in that book was I had very strong suspicions at the time that I couldn't prove beyond a reasonable doubt mm -hmm. that Wasson was an intelligence agent. Right. So, you know, John Allegra's daughter was my editor for this book, and she, she does a little blurb right up in the book. And we decided to leave out anything about Wasson and potential ties to the CIA out mm -hmm. because we just couldn't prove it. Yeah. Uh, but but we were both pretty dang sure at the time. Mm. And then uh, so what happened is after the publication of that book, I you know laid the research aside for a little while. And then in around 2010, maybe early 2011, you know, and, and the whole time I was, I had my radar was on for, for tidbits about this Wasson character. And for those in your audience who don't know who Wasson was, his full name is R. Gordon Wasson or Robert Gordon Wasson. And he's the so-called discoverer of magic mushrooms. And uh, so in, in, in Life magazine in 1957, he published an article that essentially kicked off the psychedelic revolution or his article there in life led to the psychedelic revolution a decade later, more popular, uh, properly said. And so, you know, this whole time I was gathering information about Wasson and I began checking his, his work and citations. And then on, on May 13, 2012, which, uh, was the 55th anniversary of his publication in life magazine, I released an article called R. Gordon Wasson, The Man, The Legend, The Myth. And that was laying out his ties to the intelligence community, uh, letters between him and Alan Dulles, uh, ties to uh, Wall Street and to Skull and Bones, and all of these primary documents that I found in the interim of those four years before publishing this book. And then... Uh, you know, and and I laid out, you know, all these ties that he had to like the JFK assassination. Like he was a close friend of George de Morenshield, who was, you know, like best buddies with Lee Harvey Oswald. Oh, yeah. And and when when George de Morenshield was found suicided, uh, air quotes, uh, there was a phone book in his pocket found with R. Gordon Wasson's direct phone number, along with former CIA head and former president of the United States, George H. Bush. Yep. And so, 
you know, this all started coalescing into more research and then, uh, you know, to, jumping forward in 2014, I published an article called Entheogens, What's in a Name? Right. Showing how the CIA marketed these substances as spiritual to the youth and the countercultures. And, um, and then uh, eventually, you know, released another really big article in 2015, also on May 13. And uh, that one was Spies in Academic Clothing, going through the entire history of, of all of the books out there on MKUltra and showing how they were a distraction from the facts hmm. and showing how they were written by people from the intelligence community to control the official narrative on what MKUltra was and still is today. It's still ongoing, but eventually it reached a point of self-perpetuation. Right. And so earlier this year, I went down to see my cousin and we hadn't seen each other for several years and uh, went out to lunch and she's telling me her ex-fiance got deep into Terrence McKenna and mm -hmm. Per my mistake, in my early 30s, I released probably 40% of the McKenna archives to the internet. And, you know, hindsight's 2020 when you realize someone's a fraud later on. Hmm. But uh, she was telling me how basically her fiancé lost his mind and, you know, was doing the heroic dose thing that McKenna advertises and all of this stuff. And I was, you know, explaining to her the whole history of how they came out of death cults, you know, the mushrooms, et cetera. And so when I got home, it essentially just, she, you know, uh, encouraged me or, or what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, gave me the, you know, just prompted me to get the dang book done, you know, for inspiring right. me to get it done. And so I sat down over the next few months and finally got it done. But I started this thing in 2015. And, uh, you know, so what it reveals is how Wasson and other members of the intelligence community intentionally covered up, as you know, Robert, you've read the book, uh, any citations that showed the true religion of the Aztec or the Mexica and other native Mexican tribes. They covered that up to to create a new age mushroom religion that never existed prior to May 13, 1957. Right. And, and I think it's interesting how um, all the references to cannibalism or um, witchcraft or, um, you know, converting with quote unquote, the devil, you know, um, were, were basically taken out and um, the idea all, all, all but one or two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then I in the same terms, they were also replaced with the idea of it being the flesh of the gods or, you know, at one point you talk about um, some of the people believe that it was actually where blood, the blood of Jesus had fallen and that it was the flesh of Christ himself, you know, and it's just just interesting that conversion from, you know, um, using them for dancing and and um getting intoxicated and turning that into some sort of a spiritual you know manifestation well prior to wasson and his wife valentina 
putting out their 1957 hyperbole, there's really no evidence of mushrooms being used spiritually at all. And like you just pointed out, their use was for drunken dancing and partying. Right. And in the entire historical record, I found one reference to a ritual, and mm-hmm. it was to a dark shaman or or witch uh, dark witchcraft ritual, casting spells on people that they wanted to die. Right. So you know that was the only one, and it, and of course you know Wasson, and Carl Ruck and. Dr. Brian Akers, all of these guys, they omitted all of the facts and they twisted this whole narrative. You know, even even Maria Sabina came out against Wasson in uh, 1980, I believe, uh, saying how before Wasson, nobody used the mushrooms to find God. They were only used for the sick to get well or to, you know, and to find lost objects. Right. I found that interesting, too, as far as the finding of lost objects or finding lost people. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely, definitely quite interesting. Well, whether it's true or not, you know, so you got to realize that all of these people who are using these things for, for divination or psychic ability Mm. were illiterate and almost always drunk. And, you know, they weren't exactly your, your most educated type. So, you know, it 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 might uh, it might give you an idea of where you left something behind or whatever, but they actually had no way to really verify uh, if something was true or not. Like, you know, who stole the money or or where the cheating wife went to. You know, so they only had four or five uses that they used the money uh, mushrooms for uh, finding a, a cheating missing wife finding a jackass who had gotten lost somewhere, uh, finding lost money and, you know, uh, checking on a child who'd gone off into the world. And that's it. Well, now, also, I found it interesting that there was green mushrooms, red mushrooms and black mushrooms, none of which uh, appropriately describe, you know, the south side of Cubensis. Right. Well, yeah. So what they did was, uh, and I, I have a chapter on this in the book is originally it was species of paniolus mushrooms that were identified as supposedly teonanocotyl, which I show in the book as a misnomer. And, uh, so somewhere between, oh, 1939 and 1957, they brushed paniolus aside and then they roll with psilocybe uh, type mushrooms. Right. And I think one reason is because, you know, one of the mushrooms they had identified was the Paniolus finctrianus, which, you know, is sphincter is like, you know, your anus, probably not very marketable. Right. And, and uh, you know, so, and another thing with the Paniolus is in a high dose, it would cause permanent insanity. Okay. And, or death, and they could they could watch people going senile by age thirty five who use them regularly. So that wasn't something that they could roll out and get away with for more than a few years. Well, and um, the, rapid, yeah. the rapid aging as well. Yeah. yeah. Is it, is, do you recommend it then? Is it something oh, you recommend? Well, for limeys, absolutely. <laughs> so. Jan, I have a question for you. 
Now, um, John Allegra. Just, just kidding, of course. Sorry. I know, I know. <laughs> um, as far as John Allegro, um, when he was brought in to look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, as far as being a consultant of the Vatican and going through and publishing The Mushroom and the Cross, um, I have this. I don't know if you've seen this book, but it's... Uh, oh, yeah, I have all of them. Yeah, have that, I've read uh, it, yeah. Yeah, and he goes through and basically details, you know, he's got pictures of who found them, the merchant they bought them from. Um, but it's it's just interesting how looking at some of the more recent information, um, we're beginning to suspect that, that those um, scrolls may be another form of fabricated sure. you know, um, so, cult so, culture creation. So so let All me right. uh, go into some of the history of that. Or do you want to interject there first, generally, before I kick no, off? No, mate. I, I was just, um, you, as always, Robbie's always melting my brain when we have a conversation. Anyway, uh, I am just. All right. So John Allegro was a associate professor at the University of Manchester there in the UK. And he was also a Methodist minister, and he gets called in to help with the translation of the Dead Sea Scrolls. He wasn't a Catholic. He was probably the only member of the original team of eight translators that was not Catholic. But, uh, you know, uh, Oxford and Manchester decided that he was probably the best candidate to go and do the job. And he was working on his doctorate at the time. And Near, uh, near Eastern uh, Asian uh, la ancient languages, of course, you know, uh, Palestine being uh, part of the continent of Asia in that region. And so, you know, the, the official story is that, uh, you know, the, the study of the Dead Sea Scrolls made him begin to question his Christian beliefs. Now, what is not known to most people, and I credit uh, Steve Jones, who's a regular guest on my show, for discovering this is in uh, three days after the CIA was founded in uh, what was it, June 1947, mm -hmm. they held a conference in Seelisburg, Switzerland, uh, that you know, the Seelisburg conference that was essentially designed to fake the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm. And so, uh, so this was really the first act of the CIA three days after its inception. And uh, Steve has documented a lot of that. I have, a, I have quite a bit of the evidence in my database. In fact, let me just pull it up here. Uh, so, you know, some of the people at the Seelisburg Conference were people like uh, Dr. Everett Clinchy, General William or Wild Bill Donovan, Judge Neville Lasky, Jules Isaac, who's also went by Jules Marx, uh, Malachi Martin, uh, who's uh, one of these nefarious double agent characters that shows up often in the in this stuff, and William William Willard Goslin, and this faking of you know they they basically organized this scandal based on the Cairo Geniza scrolls, and then they you know, faked these documents and dropped them in the desert where, a, you know, a young Bedouin shepherd boy found them. And then that leads to the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls and uh, the subsequent rewriting of Christianity, of course. And they're still always coming out with new Dead Sea Scrolls discovery, 
rewrites Christianity again. And we haven't even seen one of these articles for like maybe three or four months now. So we're probably due for another one. But all of these fake Dead Sea Scrolls lead up to Vatican II, where they changed Christianity from being Logos truth-based and, uh, you know, Christ being Logos incarnate to essentially being a peace and love hippie socialist religion that it never was before. And so this is where so many people today get the misconception that Christianity or that Jesus was a socialist and all of this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, and, and most of our tenets of, uh, you know, that we base freedom on come from Christianity today. And, uh, you know, which flies in the face of the idea of, of socialism and all of that stuff. But so you know, Allegro was working on that. He gets kicked off of the Dead Sea Scrolls team because right. he wasn't toting the official line. And they held back all of their translations until, if, if I remember correctly, like 1994. Right. So we're talking from the 1960s all the way to 1994. And then Allegro goes through and he's really the only one during that uh, early time anyway, like the book that you showed earlier, Robert. Uh, putting out uh, any information on the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I've got all of Allegro's books behind me. And like I said, I'm still the publisher of his book, The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. So I always like to make full disclosure of that. I'm not one of these people that's going to hide and be like, oh, you know. But, you know, so in investigating all of this stuff and discovering that the mushrooms came out of a human sacrifice and cannibalism cult, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm not going to waste my time with the hippies. Oh, no, my mushrooms came out of the earth, man. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow, you're really brilliant, dude. But, mm. you know, their, their whole promotion of them that's become a global thing over the last couple of decades is out of the Aztec or Mexica and the surrounding tribes in Mexico that for the majority of them use them for human sacrifice and cannibalism. So all of that information was whitewashed and covered up by once again, Gordon Wasson going through and he would take and, and, you know, and as I expose in this book, I'll lay out the whole citation in context and then show the little one or two lines that Wasson presents trying to make the whole thing about being about the mushroom, you know, like he'll cite a, a, a Mexican Inquisition court case, you know, and most of these court cases are still available for everybody to read 500 years later. So instead of saying, okay, Watson, you know, you, you know, you pull up the original Inquisition court case and you read it. Was it just about the mushroom and, you know, this kind of stuff. And almost all of them were about rape, incest, murder, child sacrifice, yep. um, all of this stuff. And then Wasson would take the part about the mushrooms and make that the whole presentation. Right. So, you know, somebody was on trial, you know, and what people have to realize is the inquisitions before there were city, county, state, federal courts, there, that was the inquisition. The inqu inquisition means inquiry. And it was the courts and they had judges and lawyers and witnesses and everything. And so it was a trial. 
and every side presented their evidence and you would have so many friends and family members and, you know, whatnot coming in to give their testimony on so-and-so attempted to rape my friend. And, you know, we know that he committed this child sacrifice or he buried one of the sacrifices in this tomb under his house. And, uh, he had two daughters through incest with his 16 year old niece. And, you know, all of this stuff is what the trial was about. And they also happened to do mushrooms. But when you go back through the old records, so much of the cannibalism, see, they would, they would sacrifice someone on the sunstone, cut their heart. Well, first they would cut their heart out while they were alive, hold their heart up to the sun, decapitate them, roll their head down the temple and then roll their body down. And then afterward, they would have a banquet where they would cannibalize the bodies and then they would, and or the other way around, they would go out and eat mushrooms, either before or after they would cannibalize their their victims, possibly for the acquisition of adrenochrome, while also high on mushrooms. Right. So, you know, we're talking about vampirism and, and, and lycanthropy, essentially, right. or werewolfism. I, I thought it was interesting also, um, there was some discussion on the skulls and the Tower of Skulls and how they essentially broke all that down, paved over it, and built a chapel on top of it. Right. So, you know, when the Spanish rolled into Mexico City in, in 1517, they see all of these human sacrifices going on. They see these massive skull temples everywhere, and they see people eating each other and, you know, they were pretty freaked out. And so, uh, see, what happened was in 1503, Queen Isabella of Spain yes. made an edict that stated that, see, when, when Columbus in, in, in 1493, when Columbus returned to Spain, they immediately declared all natives to be free people. In 1503, Queen Isabella of Spain rolled that back they were all free people with one exception, as long as they weren't cannibals. And if they were cannibals, they could either convert to Christianity or to Catholicism, or they could be sold. And so, you know, this is one thing you never hear about in the BLM narratives and stuff like that, because, well, the cannibals were also all slave owners. So they either accepted Christianity or they could be enslaved and sold. That was the choice given. And so, uh, you know, later on, you know, as the years and decades and centuries go on, when the Spanish would come across people still using the mushrooms, it harkened back to the cannibal and human sacrifice times. What Wasson and Terrence McKenna and Tom Lane and, uh, Dr. Brian Akers, Dr. Professor Carl Ruck, and these other frauds out there, what they want you to think it was, you know, all this new age, uh, you know, proto hippie, fluffy uh, stuff going on. There was there was no such thing. In fact, proto hippies, Native Americans didn't exist. That was all made up post facto. So when the Spanish saw this stuff, you know, they would say, you know, look, you're on trial, you know. 
There was a human sacrifice that some people suggest you were at. You're accused of incest and rape and all of this other stuff. So, you know, one guy they put on trial and he was accused of all of these things. And they sentenced him to death by burning. Another guy was accused of a lot of this stuff. He repented, said he was wrong, and got down on his knees and prayed. And they sent him to a monastery for a year. They, they whipped him, but they did send him to a monastery for a year. So it's clear, for, in my opinion, that you know the vast majority, if they, if they told the truth in court and repented, they were given a lenient sentence. If they sat there and they perjured themselves before the court, they got fried. But when this guy, uh, I forget what his name now, uh, oh, Don uh, Carlos or something like that, after the first bishop of Mexico burns him at the stake, it gets back to the Inquisitor General in Madrid, Sp in Madrid Spain, and he's livid. And he orders the the inquisitions to be shut down in, in full and orders that all native Americans, native Ameri Mexicans, whatever you want to call them, were to be treated, uh, fairly and equally as everybody else, you know? So, uh, what happened was, you know, they didn't have solid proof that this guy had been a part of the human sacrifice of this young boy, but they had a lot of circumstantial evidence and the inquisitor general in Spain, it appears, did not like, you know, see, so what the first Bishop of Mexico did is he tried to set an example against the other Mexicans to not be doing the human sacrifices and cannibalism. Uh, so they killed this guy trying to make an example, but the Inquisitor General wasn't having it, you know, so he puts a halt to the whole damn thing. And so, you know, all of this kind of stuff, the, the nuances of the case are, are left out, you know, uh, or of many of these cases are left out when they had these type of results. You know, for instance, like in Goa, India, in 251 years of the Inquisitions, exactly 57 people were sentenced to death. That's 0 0.227 people per year, you know. So there was no, you know, mass genociding of people just because they were indigenous. In fact, when you go in and you read the history, it's quite the opposite. Uh, the church went to great lengths to try to baptize people and get them out of these human sacrifice cults. And they, you know, and I have one quote in the book where the, the Pope says, uh, unlike sodomy and some of the other crimes, uh, human sacrifice is a le legitimate reason for human intervention because of the death of innocence. And so, uh, you know, this is what the church did was they went around. So, and you brought up this, this, uh, archeological dig that they found in, in 2015 in Mexico city. Well, so the, the Spanish had written in their reports that there were these massive human skull temples, like upwards of 130,000 human skulls and whatnot that, that they would take from the other surrounding tribes. They would, they would war against them, enslave the warriors, often the children and others too, and then sacrifice them and put their heads on these massive skull temples. So in 2015, in a massive dig in Mexico City, they found one of these temples. So for the last, you know, couple hundred years, especially throughout, you know, the 20th century, 
a lot of academics and especially liberal academics started claiming that the Spanish and the Christians made it all up just for ethnocentric othering and missionary slander and this kind of stuff. But now we know we have the archaeological evidence that these massive temples did exist. But, you know, the Spanish roll in and they see this stuff and they're like, we got to get rid of this. This is horrid, you know. Every 20 days of the Aztec calendar. So the Aztec calendar was based on eight months, 20 days with a five-day week. And then they had five days left over the, over at the end of the year that were like the dark days or the blank Counting days. And yeah, they didn't do anything on those days because it was considered bad luck. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, every 20 days at the beginning of a new month, they were sacrificing people. Like the first month of the Aztec calendar, they were sacrificing little kids to the rain and water god, Tlaloc. Right. And if they Shame could get bro. the kids, if they could get the kids to cry <laughs> on the way to being sacrificed, that was considered a good sign for rain that year. And then they would sacrifice these little kids. Right. That's crazy. That's crazy. Do you think uh, do you think that they made them cry also for adrenochrome? Wait, say that again. I could only understand adrenochrome. Oh, do you think that they they wanted them to cry for adrenochrome? Well, I you know I think the main purpose was to get them to cry because it was a symbol of rain. But we don't. I, I don't have. I don't have any historical evidence that they ate the little kids that they sacrificed. That's not to say they didn't. But, uh, you know, the evidence shows that they were sacrificing them to bring rain. And then we see several cases in the Inquisition court records as well that substantiate uh, what we find on page one mm -hmm. of the Florentine Codex Book Two, The Ceremonies. So, you know, these guys are going around and, and, and you know, later on over the next century, sacrificing kids and whatnot to this Tlaloc god. So now with all of this, um, you know, cannibalism and, and ritual sacrifice and all of this stuff that came now in regard to the perennial philosophy and the idea of, you know, diving down into deprivation only to rise up again back into the monad or the heavenly kingdom, why would... Uh, this be something that they would propagate in culture? Well, you know, who was a big proponent of the uh, proponent of the perennial philosophy, but Aldous Huxley, who was, you know, a key proponent of uh, MKUltra, key architect. But I think what they were trying to do is if we go back to John B. Calhoun's research and his work on the behavioral sink, they believed that, you know, so Calhoun created this rat, sometimes mice yeah. utopia, where the rats and mice had never seen freedom. And they would put them in there, and then they would see all of these forms of degeneracy, what we see going on in society right now. And then uh, the rats would begin uh, to have all of this homosexuality, start cannibalizing their young, start cannibalizing each other all these fights, all of this aggression and whatnot. And then after several generations were born in the rat tribe, what he deemed the beautiful ones. Mm -hmm. 
And the so then, and so then, uh, this was the evolution per, per Calhoun and what these, uh, you know, megalomaniacs like, uh, Aldous Huxley believed mm. was that, and, and, you know, that they could do this to the human population. The problem is, is none of the rats had ever experienced any type of freedom. It was all an enclosed structure. So what we had was in the 1960s, what they deemed the beautiful people or the people rats mm. based on the 60s psychedelic counterculture revolution. And, you know, people that, you know, so, and, you know, I've, I've, I wrote a book uh, back or an article back in 2014 called Entheogens, What's in a Name? Showing how the CIA marketed the spirituality aspects of these substances, when in reality they cause a psychotic break and they cause hypersuggestibility. And so what we have though is in the hippies is this hypersuggested class or group who's also hyper aggressive. You know, most of the just outrageous, ridiculous attacks I get out there are by hippies who tell me how close minded I am after they refuse to read my work. Right. And, uh, you know, so, and they always use the same two or three arguments against me ad infinitum. You can pick any one of 5,000 hippies and they'll use almost the identical argument against me while claiming <laughs> that I've never, while claiming that I've never heard their point of view. And it's like, yeah, maybe not for the last, you know, 20 minutes. Yeah. Right. You know, and it's like, uh, let's see, uh, mushrooms are older than the CIA. Uh, it was all blowback and they got out of the CIA's control. You've never tried mushrooms or, you know, one of those arguments, you know, all rolled up and they never have any evidence or they'll cite acid dreams, which I debunked that garbage book like seven years ago, but they all use the same arguments. And then they tell me I've never heard their point of view, you know, and it's like, no, you're using the exact same argument. Like the other, you know, 11 or 12,000 people that said them before you, right? Mm. And so I actually had to start out the book talking about this because I've heard this exact same argument so many thousands of times and always by people who think they're so clever because they didn't read my work before they told me that. You mm. know, and I've also started out other articles mentioning these these arguments as well. But, you know... Mushrooms are older than the CIA, so therefore they can't be used for bad. Really? So, a tool is a tool. what's that? A tool is a tool. It, it cuts right. both. Ways. So you know, so I decided to go all the way back and do the oldest historical records that we have of these substances, and what did they say? Hmm. It was all surrounded in human sacrifice and cannibalism. There was never any proto hippie mushroom user. They used them to dance and get drunk. They didn't use them in any of the religious ceremonies at all. There's no evidence of that, uh, except for the one that I, you know, that we mentioned earlier about, you know, for dark shamanism, and they were using it to cast spells against people that they wanted to die. But other than that, there is no ceremonial use of them anywhere in the historical record. Wasson manufactured all of that and from 1953 going into 1957 
and then published it in his book, Mushrooms, Russia, and History. Then it went nationwide in Life magazine on May 13, 1957. And then the following, uh, uh, on May 19th, 1957, in This Week magazine, which went out to approximately 12 million newspaper subscribers. So they basically blitzed the entire American culture all in a week's time with this stuff to get rebellious kids to talk about these things. Now, you know, how close how close was that to the changing of the images of man and the Macy conferences? Uh, I would have to look at the dates at that. Changing mm -hmm. images of man, I think, came out in 1970. I have the original copy of the That's SRI book. What's that? That's quite a bit later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so Joseph Campbell and those frauds were involved in that. And Joseph Campbell, of course, was behind uh, the power of myth and Star Wars and and all of that stuff. But uh, let me just pull that up. So we have our, you know, our typical frauds involved in changing images of man, which was a research project put out by Stanford Research Institute to create a new religion or a new mythology for the whole of society. Like, you know, they're the ones who have the authority to decide the religion that's best for humanity. So Arthur Hastings, B.F. Skinner, the Skinner Box, uh, Brendan O'Regan, Dorothy McKinney, Dr. Carl Rogers, who was MKUltra Subproject 97. We also have uh, Dr. James Fadiman, who created microdosing, who was the last person to do legal human LSD experiments in 1970 when it was all shut down. Uh, Dr. Willis Herrmann, who is also, uh, you know, MKUltra, the Esalen Institute. I'm not sure, you know, what subprojects he was involved in, but uh, I do have plenty of his documents showing that he still had high-level security clearance. Uh, let's see, Jeffrey Vickers, Harvey Dixon, Henry uh, Marganaugh, John Platt, John White, Joseph Campbell, um, Magora Mariyama, Margaret Mead, of course, who is the uh, wife of Gregory Bateson, one of the co-founders of the CIA, and both her and Gregory Bateson were involved in uh, MKUltra. O.W. Malarkey, you know, and it's got malarkey in it, it's full of malarkey, right? Uh, Ralph Metzner, who... Uh, worked with Leary doing the human experiments at the Millbrook Mansion for the CIA, uh, Ronald Fisher, uh, Julian Huxley. Again. Now, wasn't it, wasn't it Gloria Steinem who uh, falsified a lot of her research on the Samoans in regard to sexuality? Uh, Gloria Steinem was the feminist. You're talking about Margaret Mead. Margaret Mead, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Gloria Steinem was the feminist who worked for the CIA. Here's one of my favorite quotes. Uh, this is from the former head of the CIA. And uh, let's see, he's he's quoting her. This is the former uh, uh, director of Central Intelligence, William Colby. I might quote Miss Gloria Steinem, one of those so assisted who commented that the CIA wanted to do what we wanted to do, present a healthy, diverse view of the United States. I never felt I was being dictated to at all. You know, so Gloria Steinem was, is a CIA agent. The whole feminist movement was promoted to break up the family, promote free sex. See, 
The idea with these CIA clowns was that, uh, you know, so we had the Soviet Union and the total you know, totalitarianism going on there and all of these communist regimes. So the CIA thought in all of their wisdom and brilliance, hey, we're going to make freedom of everything. You know, we're going to make freedom about our peepees. You know, we're going to have peepee politics. Everything is going to be sex, drugs, and rock and roll, which now is, you know, LGBT, QWERTY, gender, you know, pronouns and all of this kind of stuff. And it's also soft kill eugenics at the same time. But so they wanted to show the Soviet Union how free we really are by promoting all of this hypersexuality and degenerate modern art that, you know, with women menstruating on a canvas and calling it art and, you know, just people throwing paint on a wall and, oh, look, it's art, you know, with absolutely no talent. Or like uh, Duchamp signing toilets and this kind of crap. All of that stuff was sponsored by the CIA. So that was... art movement. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Yeah. that, yeah, that, That was how the CIA... And all of its wisdom and brilliance to was to combat the Soviet Union was to degenerate our own culture and to drive us down to, you know, stupid plebes who do that stuff and walking around with, you know, bull rings on our noses and giant holes in our ears and tattoos and everywhere and fornicating in, t- in the mud to our rock idols or our oops our, our graven images right so that was how the cia came up with their plan to combat it now of course most of that is bs the cia you know aldous huxley himself called it the final revolution and they wanted to dumb people down to a state where they were just too stupid uh to think for themselves and could be easily controlled uh, so, and of course, when the Soviet Union collapsed, we didn't see the sudden dissolvement of all of these agendas. In fact, you know, over the last seven, eight years, we've really seen the ramp up of all of the LGBT QWERTY, uh, you know, soft kill eugenics type stuff. And I call it soft kill eugenics because that's what it is. World War One and World War Two, you line up all the men in the ditches, you have the women in the factories making the arms and you have them kill each other off. And this is what these, you know, Fabian socialists and whatnot designed. So then after, in in the aftermath of World War II, these Fabian socialists are touring Europe and it was too appalling for even them. So they came back and they went into their think tanks and they said, how can we get people to kill themselves off? Mm. How can we get them to kill off their tree of life biblically speaking, or their family tree, how can we get them to throw their own branches into the eternal fire where their family will be ended forever? So they created the the counterculture, feminism, get men and women fighting with each other rather than working together in the home, uh, get women out having abortions, killing off their own children, You know, like 1.6 billion, something like that, 1.3 billion babies murdered since the 1970s, 63 million just in the United States. And uh, so that was their goal, was to propagandize people so that they didn't settle down any longer in their 20s and early 30s and have a family. The goal was to get them caught in extended adolescence or arrested development to where when they finally realized they wanted a family, 
it would probably be probably be in their early 40s and they might only be able to have one child and so this or you know or it was already too late and then mm. that family is exed out of the you know tree of life forever that's eugenics and so it was just a form of getting people mainly on the left today to genocide their own families and their own family trees so that they never have to be dealt with for the rest of eternity. That is, uh, that is beyond disgusting, isn't it? Uh, the whole approach. Uh, well, I, well it know? is. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know which way is worse, you know, because, you know, you see these women rioting in the streets for the right to murder their own children. And they call it just a blob of goo or or whatever. You know, it's like, no, it's a life. I'm a father, you know, and, you know, it's like yeah. there's there's nothing more sacred to me than being a father. And, uh, you know, it, it's you know, it's just appalling when you hear some of their arguments and things that they say and, oh, it's my body, my choice. Meanwhile, they're against your choice on vaccines, you know, no irony there. But, you know, a child is not your body. What about the child's rights? Of course, they don't factor that in because they demonize the child into a blob, right? So that it, it, it isn't a life that they're killing. It's just a blob. You know, and this is what all genocides are are based on. So what they did, and this starts with Margaret Sanger, who worked with Julian Huxley again, who created the term the pill, Aldous Huxley. But that was their goal, was to get families to genocide themselves. So you put people in the mud at rock concerts, fornicating and doing all of this degenerate behavior that eventually evolves into Burning Man. And, you know, they don't want to settle down. They don't want to have a family. You spend the whole year dedicating everything to build something that you're going to take to the desert at Black Rock and you're going to burn it rather than building something towards your future and your family and your family's continuance. So you take it out to the desert after you've spent this year building it and working on it and you just light it on fire, completely wasted. You've turned it into all your life's work, a sacrifice. And then, you know, what these women don't realize is that, you know, they're also sacrificing their children to Moloch. So all of this is about these, these bizarre uh, sacrifices, you know, and, you know, and it's all been twisted by the left as their, their right, you know, their, hmm. well, so, I think you know, there's, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think there's a connection when you go back as far as a sine wave in regard to ancient canna and the practices as far as the canna balls, the priests of ball there. And, and you can see some of the transition into South America and the trade that was going on as far as the cocaine, the pineapples, the tobacco. And that essentially a lot, I think a lot of that culture transitioned down into South America and kind of carried some of those practices. But I think at the same time, the sine wave is that, you know, there was the cannibalism and then kind of the Bible kind of came to kind of write that or adjust that. And then now we're coming back to the point where, you know, a lot of these, uh, these not necessarily pagan, but these ritual cults that worship the underworld are essentially oh, there, coming there, yeah. 
and yeah. beginning to dominate. You know, well, in, in it is way. it is paganism, and we can thank people like Sir James George Fraser and Mircha Eliade uh, for their promotion of the Wicca and the witchcraft and the the shamanism and all of this stuff. You know, and they basically manufactured a lot of this stuff post facto. Uh, you know the the what's what's uh, Sir James George Fraser's uh, series, the Golden Bow, but right, I right. you know I think that they manufactured a lot of their research post facto to cover up that. What it appears is that over half of the world were cannibals. You know you you would have rare instances of cannibalism in Europe and in Asia, uh, where it was pretty much wiped out seven to twelve thousand years ago. Uh, but during extreme famine or war, there was a couple of, you know, freaks who like, you know, and uh, I forget this town in Germany, this guy and before and during World War One was cannibalizing little boys and selling them in his meat market. And, uh, you know, you have some weird cases like this, but it wasn't, you know, extensive. And you had one case of uh I forget, was it a British diplomat? He pissed off a bunch of people and they went and cooked him up. You know, but there, you know, very few instances. Uh, but yeah, there was there was a case in Germany where they found over 4,000 skulls and, and skeletons with proof of uh, teeth marks and bite marks, like essential, essentially. Well, it's usually scraping skull. marks. It's usually well, they about found I, actual teeth marks on the bones marks. In, in the German one. And, and how far back was that? That was probably about 8,000 years ago, they guess. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, through most of Europe and Asia, it's between it disappeared between seven and 12,000 years ago. Whereas, like in Papua New Guinea, it disappeared in the 1950s and early 60s. 50s, and yeah. uh, in Australia, uh, 100% of the Australian Aborigines were cannibals. And the last recorded case there wow. was 19, 1939. Mm. So this isn't, you know, when you have your dingeridoo playing hippies out there, you know, playing Terrence McKenna and talking about how spiritual they are. What they don't talk about is all of the uh, Aborigines were cannibals. And then you had uh, the last reports in Africa or the 1890s. Uh, and then uh, you've got like the 1600s and... North America and French territories like in Quebec and uh, United States, Louisiana territory going up through there. And then, uh, you know, probably in the 1500s to early 1600s in Mexico and other areas, mm. you know, but uh, I found, you know, and so, you know, there were these ridiculous books by uh, the main one was this this guy, uh, William Ahrens, who wrote a book, The Man-Eating Myth. And he wrote that, you know, in 1979, that the it was all just ethnocentric othering and the the Christians and the Spanish and everybody made it all up. Well, now we're starting to see the archaeological evidence come to light. Chaco right. Canyon is another one about a decade ago. They did a bunch of research on, found it covered in, in uh, archaeological evidence of cannibalism everywhere. Um, but the the evidence shows that at minimum 50% or more of the tri tribes from Guatemala to Alaska were war cannibal tribes. Right. 
And now, do you think they were doing that to gain power? Do you think they were doing that for adrenochrome? Do you? Th- I mean, it's. You know, I, I was. I wasn't knows? there. I mean, we can we can right. speculate. It could have been about adrenochrome. That. You know, here's the thing too: is if you have an enemy and you conquer, you capture a bunch of their people and their kids, and you eat them, they're probably going to be pretty afraid of you, psychologically That'd speaking, right? You know, so then, you know, and then what they'll say is like, oh, you know, in our mythology, we don't have any record of this. Well, so what happened is after most of the Native Americans were Christianized, this mythology or this history of this stuff disappears. Then beginning in the early mid 1800s, they essentially get to rewrite and manufacture this whole history that they never had of the peace and nature worshiping proto hippie mm. you know and in fact you know native americans excluding the huichol in mexico didn't use peyote until the late 1850s had no record of it right this is very and interesting I, yeah well go ahead i was gonna say something but it slipped my mind go ahead Oh, brain farts. What do you do? Right, right. <laughs> the older you get, eat more fat, right. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you know, do you know what? Um, well, it actually did surprise me. Uh, when you mentioned uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls being faked. Yeah. Now, I'm thinking, right, if, the, if they've done that, what else have they done along those lines? What else has been faked? And that's very uh, much we, the question I was going to ask. As far as... Uh, culture creation in general we we see this consistent pattern of them recreating rewriting you know well i mean you know look at the the global warming agenda is another one you know that's Uh culture creation too see what they want is gaia worship well if we get in and we look at gaia what's the history of gaia gaia is the 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 god yeah let me pull up gaia here gaia is the goddess uh of the let me see she's the mother of chronos who eats his own kids but her goal is to wipe out the population of the earth and repopulate it and she's also the mother of the titans so why would they base all of this earth worship on gaia the goddess of killing off all humanity that makes no sense does it right it's just hypocritical so when you when you get in and you start looking at the stuff and the, the names they use and whatnot, you start to cue into you know why they're they're using these names and why do they want to push you know suggestogens or psychedelics on everyone? Because they want to get them into a state of hypersuggestibility where they have a psychotic break where then they can program the person to believe that whatever they tell them is the history of religion. And it's not based on logos or logic, reason, truth, in part being God, which is the Christian God logos, you know? So that's why I used to believe in all of that stuff. And in 2017, I sat down to debunk the Bible and I got to Acts and ended up converting to Christianity after writing two books against Christianity in my younger years. And suddenly it just hit me like a ton of bricks what Logos was and this massive effort to cover it up and to turn Christianity into this peace, love, hippie religion and 
totally distort what it is. But once, you know, in, in American courts, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help you God. It's right in there. The, the whole cosmic right. joke is right in that. You know, why would you be swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth to truth or God? Well, and, and Logos being the truth, I mean, we go back to the early Zoroastrians as far as you have the truth or you have the lie. You know, you have this, this intrinsic separation. Yeah, well, they were, they were dualistic, which I recommend reading, like, uh, Steve Jones's book, Authenticating Christianity, and some of his other books. I had one here. It's not on my desk right now. But uh, the Zoroastrians were essentially a, more of a Gnostic type of sect. And, you know, and that, like, when we get in, so Christianity is one of the few religions and philosophies that the first main premise, just like if you're studying real objective logic, the first main pre premise is that reality is real. All Gnostic right. philosophies are based on the denial of reality. What is the definition of schizophrenia? It's the denial of reality. So why is... Why does Neoplatonism, why does Aldous Huxley, why do all of the hippies, all of the psychedelic users promote the denial of reality? It's all primacy of consciousness or monopsychism. It's all the denial of reality. So, you know, Robert, you don't have agency. Generally, you don't have agency. You're just a reflection of me, man. It's only my philosophy, and you all can piss off because, you know, I manufactured <laughs> yeah. you in my mind, right? Yeah. You, you do not have the right to have your own opinion because you're only a reflection of me. That's the whole hippie, neoplatonist, Gnostic, Cathar point of view. And if you're all point of me, or if you're all created of me and a reflection of me, well then what, what better way to bring the world back to one than to kill all y'all off? Hmm. Right. And there you go, mate, taking it back to Gaia. Well, to Gaia and to the whole yeah. leftist uh, Gnostic. That's why I bailed on the whole Gnostic thing as well. You know, it used to be Gnostic media before I changed it to Logos media because of all of this. So when you when right. once you get that the whole thing is based on the most egoic horse crap, you are not, you know, <laughs> we're not of the earth with our own agency. You're all a reflection of me. I'm God. That's that's the the egoic vomit that comes out of the left. Well, you know? and when you look at um, you know going back to Napoleon, um, as far as the apotheosis of Napoleon in Washington D.C., you have the apotheosis of George Washington. There's always been this line of the idea that these men can become gods. So when you look at the technocratic movement and the idea moving forward that, you know, we are as gods, we all can, you know, it, it's an interesting um, philosophical development, you know, in regard to uh, the reality of the, you know? Yeah, well, it's an inversion of reality, right? And right, that's what right. that's what Satanism always does, is it always inverts everything, right? So it okay. wants you to believe that, you're not of the world with your own agency. The world is of you. So then you are God. You know, right. so when we when we get this perspective, we can see the whole agenda. But when I accept that I am of the world, that, number one, the first axiom, reality is real. 
Then I have to accept that I am of the world. Then I have to accept that you are of the world and General Lee is of the world. And then I have to accept that everybody has agency to do, to choose right from wrong. And, you know, and so then, well, you know, well, you know, a lot of people, well, if God is real, why do pedophiles exist? Well, that's why, because they have agency to choose. God didn't create slaves. He created people with the agency free will to choose right from wrong. And so once right. we grasp this, then it brings us, you know, no longer are all of the problems of the world on our shoulders and our fault because we're not thinking positive enough. Suddenly we can step back and say, oh, because everybody has free agency. Reality is real. We all, you know, then we have to have respect for one another as well because we're not approaching everything as, you know, Robert, you're just a figment of my imagination. Screw off. Kick rocks. Right. Makes sense? Oh, yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, basically, I was just uh, trying to emphasize the idea of, you know, this recreation of the fall into depravity in regard to this long-term perennial philosophy that they have been instilling all these programs over time to basically, uh, you know, um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's just, well, it, it's, it's, it's what you're saying, but at the same time, it's getting people to burn their own branches of the tree of life. Yeah. It's like mass manipulation. Isn't it? Right. So, you know, they want to get rid of the worthless eaters so that it, yes. everything goes back into only one philosophy, one perennial philosophy, right? The so monad. then they're the monad, so that it's yeah. not, you know, all of us existing of free will. It's just the one, the monad. Right. And so this is what, you know, the whole left, the, you know, Blavatsky and you go into the Masons and the Illuminati and all of these different groups that have their philosophy tying back to fake Egyptian religion. Well, you know, here's a tip off. Another thing we were talking about what was faked. Well, the Rosetta Stone was faked too. Hmm. Rosetta Stone. The Rosetta Stone. So once they had the Rosetta Stone, then they, then they could go back through history and rewrite out of thin air the ancient Egyptian mysteries that all of these secret societies tied themselves to. Hmm. Right. Right. Uh, now, the other thing, uh, the other ahead. thing I found interesting was the links into uh, Sufism that you've yeah. been discussing recently. Yeah. Well, yeah. Islam is based in Sufism. What what also is Islam? Gnosticism. And what does Islam yeah, do? Is they go around murdering and enslaving all the kuffar or the kafir. That, you know, any any of the infidels who don't believe in the, uh, you know, the pedophile mass murdering prophet uh, Muhammad, which is also known as Baphomet. If you can look that up, you're in England there, General Lee, check out the, uh, look up Baphomet in the Oxford English Dictionary. It says right there, Muhammad. 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 So, so here, in fact, I'll, I got the uh, digital edition of the Oxford English Dictionary right here. So. Uh, let me just pull this up and I'll read it to you here. 
So the name Baphomet, a form of the name Muhammad used by medieval writers, alleged name of the idol which the Templars were accused of worshiping. Uh, Abbey Constant quoted by Littre, this word was Kabbalistically formed by writing backward Tim O-H-P abbreviated or Templi Omnem uh, Hominem Passus Abbasis or Abbot, the father of the Temple of Peace of All Men, hence Baphometic. And so, uh, and then uh, the Baphomet is a secret word ascribed to the Templars. But Baphomet, it says right there, a form of the name Muhammad. So why are they worshiping a a transgender goat god? Yeah. An androgynous, yeah. An androgynous goat god. Well, and, and then you got the dissolve and, you know, uh, as far as the arms, you know, dissolve and reform and that, tying into alchemy and all the ancient... You know, it's it's pretty interesting stuff, to say the least. Yeah, just I mean, sorry, Robbie, mate. Oh. He was talking to you, Robert. Oh, what was that? Yeah, sorry, sorry, mate. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Um, uh, it's okay. Um, but we also find um, in the higher levels of the Masons, as far as the Shriners, you know, getting getting into a lot of the uh, Sufi philosophy as well well the shriners yeah. have their islamic symbolism all through it right 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 yeah yeah who founded the uh nazi party the national socialist german socialist workers party. party who is that baron, baron von sabatendorf a muslim sabatendorf yeah, yeah yeah he's the one that basically funded hitler as far as i know but he founded the nazi parties uh, sabatendorf yeah Right, so right. and then you know so what is one of the practices written about in the islamic text killing all the jews right yeah. so then sure. and and that gets back into the the formation of israel and the dead sea scrolls as far as working to push a lot of those german intellectuals out of germany and move them to the new holy land you know there's that whole line of thinking as well yeah, or there's also another line of thinking that if you want to eliminate a group of people, what do you do? Genocide. Well, you round them up and you put them all in one place. Right. True, true. Hmm. So. Yeah. You know, and who were the who were the main people that were experimented on over the last two years? Huh. As far as in Israel with the vaccines, the Jewish, the Jewish people. You said it, not me. Right, right. I mean, even Pfizer called it, you know, a big laboratory, basically. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Israel, Israel's a big laboratory. That's what Pfizer what? said. My, my accent doesn't allow me to understand you very well, generally. Sorry, mate. Israel's a, a laboratory, you say, that probably. Yeah, that, that's what Pfizer called it. Shocking. That is shocking yeah. to say that. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and, and 
just getting into the long-term agenda of the American Anglo establishment and, you know, the, the as far as the useless eaters and, you know, talking, transforming, you know, the ideas of, of um, eugenics into, you know, what it's become now, you know, just under another name. It's, uh, it's. Oh, it's free rights. What are you talking about, Robert? <laughs> And, you know, the my, more my body, my the choice, the same, it, it's right? my yeah. body, my choice, my unless choice. it's the vaccine. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and these people just can't even get it. It's like, you know, you're just you try to explain to them, you know, you know, you're arguing for a eugenics program, right? What are you talking right. about, man? Right. You mean there's a secret government plan to get us to kill ourselves off? Yeah, it's exactly yeah. what I they all write about it openly. Oh, yeah. It's a, well, like Margaret Wells, it's an open I, conspiracy. I've got, you know, papers between Margaret Sanger and, and Julian Huxley from what, like right. the 1920s or 30s. And Julian, Huck, Julian wants to give her like a lifetime award for all of her work in eugenics. And what did they do? Well, right. they put Planned Parenthood centers in black neighborhoods. Right. Right. So that they could get the black communities to kill themselves off. And well, then what do they do? Then the same leftist groups who do this then go around and claim that black lives matter and women's rights. You know, so first they sell it to you as a right. And then they tell you that black lives matter while they're the ones who put these programs in place behind the scenes. And then they say that the right are the Nazis for trying to stop the genocide and the eugenics because the Nazis they, were the socialists. Right. The Nazis were the socialists. The Nazis were the leftists. And what do you have? Antifa. Right. Who were the right. fascists? The Italians. The Italians. What was yeah. what were what was Italian fascism? International socialism. Hitler right. and the National Socialist German Workers Party right. was national socialism. Right. And then you had the communists that was, you know, right. or Marxist communism. So. So what a lot of people don't know is that before Hitler left, before Hitler joined the, the National Socialist German Workers Party, he was a member of the Soviet Socialist Party. Party, right. So he was left left and went over here to left. Right. <laughs> well, and at the same time, you have Rothschild setting up Israel and simultaneously paying Karl Marx to write the Communist Manifesto. Well, and then there was uh, Arthur Balfour, and there was a whole group here. Let me see. I got all this stuff in my database. A lot of this I'm speaking of now is thanks to Steve. Uh, so got to give him credit. But Arthur Balfour and these guys, they were involved in a. They, they were involved in a secret group um, here. Let me see. What the heck was the group called? Lord Milner, Rhodes Scholar. Hold on. Uh, the Milner Kindergarten. Uh, let me see. The Metaphysical Society. That's what it was. And these uh, guys, you know, uh, guess who is a member of the Metaphysical Society? We haven't said a name for a few minutes. Huxley. Lovatska. Thomas Huxley. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, and, then, uh, and then Bertrand Russell was in there. Alfred Lloyd, uh, Lord Tennyson. Um mm -hmm. Uh, Arthur Russell, Bal Arthur Balfour, John Ruskin, uh, big, in heavily influenced by Plato's Republic and big Plato right. Neoplatonist type of guy. Ruskin was Huxley's mentor. Is that correct? 
yes, I believe so. Possibly. I don't have that in here. Or he was at least one of his uh, professors while he was in college. Yeah. Ruskin. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and any, any time you're researching anything that goes to any member of the Huxley family, what you've got there is a hot, stinking pile of shit or shite <laughs> if you're in English. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if it's Darwin, you know, here's the funny thing is the Darwins and the Huxleys intermarried and they were so uh, interbred that they started having all these genetic deformations and stuff and kind of took mm -hmm. themselves out, thank goodness. But, uh, you know, so they were just completely uh, megalomaniac, uh, psychopathic people and took it upon themselves to try to kill off all of the worthless eaters, as you just said. So they came up with the psychedelic revolution, the counterculture, feminism, um, you know, all of the, the archaic revival. The archaic, well, that started out as the native revival, and then that became yeah. the archaic revival. Um, just, you know, all of this anti-Christian stuff and the the Darwinian stuff, the goal was just a multi-pronged attack on Christianity to attack society and culture at its core and uh, to get people to eugenicize themselves and to bring everything back, as you said, to the monad. So what right. Thomas Henry Huxley did is, as Darwin's uh, propaganda manager, Darwin's bulldog, is he created a group called the X Club which is a biblical reference. And then what he did is he placed eight academics into uh, key positions in universities to promote Darwin's theory. And then they would all cite each other about Darwin, Darwin, so Darwin, Darwin, and then, yeah, in a big circle jerk. Right. And then, uh, then all of the other academics that weren't involved in, Oh, look what all there, we got to jump on board with that. But it was all staged. Mm. Yeah. As another form of culture creation. As another form of culture creation. There you right. go. And then so, they could then they could uh then they could justify social Darwinism, right? Right, right. So, you know, you know, and then but so what do you have? It's like all of these people that riot for the use to use psychedelics these days. You have people rioting for the use or to for the right to murder their own children. Soon it'll be the right to human sacrifice and cannibalism and pedophilia. I guarantee it. Well, and, and it's it's interesting when you look at Benjamin Franklin and the Hellfire Club and a lot of the stuff that was going on there. Oh, oh brother Jimmy. Brother Jimmy. <laughs> brother Jimmy. Brother oh, yeah. Jimmy Franklin. Yeah. 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 Um, well, what, but what in, in 2009 uh, in, in 1999, what did they find in Ben Franklin's basement? Uh, the bones of numerous children that were cracked and burned. And really, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, he was yeah. doing human experiments. And then if you read oh, the Smithsonian, my. if you read the Smithsonian write up, they have all this spin and nonsense to justify how these 15 or 17 bodies ended up in his basement. But right. his brother jimmy james franklin wrote the pamphlets for get this the pro inoculation pamphlets for the mm. early 1700s mm. for for inoculation experimentation what else is james franklin famous for 
Yellow journalism. Yellow journalism, yeah. yeah. What we today call fake news. Fake news, right, right. And, well, Timothy Leary said that yellow journalism is the friend of humankind because it sharpens our wit. You know, well, that's that that sounds like a typical sophist justification for lying. Right. right? right well, you right. know, if I lie to you and I get away with it, you know, later on, if you figure it out in 10 years, well, I sharpened your wit so you can be thankful to me. Yeah. Right. 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 You, should, right. you should thank me because you figured out how I defrauded you. you how I defrauded you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, it's not lying. I'm just not telling the truth. Right. So, yeah. 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 Coming back to uh, Terrence McKenna. Are you familiar with the Orfeo, his correspondence with Robert Hunter? I am. I don't think I am. No, it's basically I. Somebody gave this to me. It must have been two decades ago. You'll have and to send me a copy of that if you don't mind. Yeah, but it's a series of letters back and forth between Terence McKenna and Robert Hunter, specifically discussing DMT. Really, and it's. Yeah, it's pretty thick, you know. It's, I don't know, probably 80, 90 pages. Um, so I have Robert Hunter mm -hmm. as a CIA agent and Church of Scientology and, of mm -hmm. course, the Grateful Dead. And he's also a high-level Freemason. I think he was like 32nd degree Freemason. And or associated was... with uh, Ken Kesey and Alan Trist. Yep, yep. And now, are you familiar with Howard Marks? Howard um, Marks. I don't think Howard so. Howard Marks, Mr. Nice, the smuggler. Mr. Nice, yeah. yeah I don't so think basically, so. He was working with uh, Bill Graham and Pink Floyd, um, and they were basically uh, smuggling um, different products all over the world. But he was also linked in with MI6, CIA, the IRA, and the Mafia. And uh, his, his story basically goes into detail um, about how they were basically running the product to facilitate, um, you know, a lot of this stuff going on. Did you yeah. see uh, Roger Waters uh, article or interview the other day, blasting mm -hmm. the uh, fake media, the legacy media? Yeah. It, it's interesting the way he turned. I mean, sometimes like I want to agree with, but other times it's just, I, I, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. uh, he's an interesting character for sure. Well, it's, you know, it was definitely more articulate than like Phil Lesh, we got to end the second amendment and, you know, mm. Mm. so do you think, do you think they'll, um, impose bans on guns or bring some sort of law in? I'll try to. Oh, they're, they're always trying to, they're I mean, it, it's, it's, to. it's, they've been doing this stuff since the uh, 1800s. Right. You know, see the original the original uh, uh, gun laws were to keep blacks from getting guns to defend themselves against the military uh, arm of the Democratic Party, the KKK. Right. Seriously. Yeah. Founded yeah, by the, Pike. yeah wow, the, huh? the KKK was was the military arm of the Democrats, and of course, you know the 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 official lie is that the two parties flipped. You know, and you ask them some basic questions about when the parties flipped, like, was it after the Democrats filibustered the 1964 Civil Rights Act for 75 days? Or was it after the 1994 uh, Biden crime bill that led to the 2020 riots? You know, they can never give you an answer. Right. Yeah. But 
But, you know, so the, the Republican Party was founded in 1854 by Carl Schurz and the blacks as the anti-slavery party. And so the Democratic Party under, I think it was during the Lyndon Johnson era, uh, was trying to figure out after the debacle with the 1964 Civil Rights Act, they were trying to figure out how they could get a foothold back into government and get some control back. So they manufactured the lie that the two parties flipped. <laughs> it's well, crazy, and, isn't it? and the kkk <laughs> as far as being founded by albert pike who you know there's a statue of albert pike right there in front of the cia building um but they basically use the the kkk as a terror mechanism to keep the black populace under control in regard to the black vote well it was and it was to scare uh poor white voters as well but actually the kkk was founded by uh Nathan Bedford Forrest. I don't remember mm. the year that was, but uh, you know, I'm sure he probably was a Mason and based it off based yeah. it off of Masonry and whatnot. But uh, yeah. yeah, so you know, the Democrats opposed. Well, they let's see, they they descended uh, defended slavery, started the Civil War, opposed Reconstruction, imposed segregation, perpetuated the lynchings. They were behind Dred Scott versus Sanford. Uh, they promoted the Jim Crow laws. Uh, John Wilkes Booth was a Democrat who assassinated Lincoln for freeing the slaves. They opposed the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, abolishing slavery, giving black citizenship and the right to vote. Um, from 1854 until, it took until 1935 before the Democrats uh, voted a black person into Congress. And then uh, let's see, uh, they promoted the black codes that restricted blacks uh, from property, uh, from owning property and running businesses. They imposed the poll taxes to keep blacks and poor whites from voting. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see here. President Woodrow Wilson resegregated the uh, federal offices. And then uh, the blacks are the ones who promoted the abortion and planned, or the Democrats are the ones who promoted abortion into the black neighborhoods through Planned Parenthood to kill off those segments of the population. And of course, they've sold all of this as a right. And then, uh, uh, let's see, you know, and like I said, they're the ones who created the, the false idea that the two parties flipped. Right. Well, and then also between the prison industrial complex and the running of miscellaneous drugs such as crack and, you know, dividing pass, up and taking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was that was who the Joe what? Biden crime bill. And who was exactly. who was Joe Biden influenced by? But uh, Democrat Senator Robert Byrd, who is Byrd. the what the grandmaster general of the KKK. So crazy wizard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy, yeah. crazy. <laughs> You know, and, and that as far as his association with Byrd and the KKK, and then you got, you know, Trump, it like no matter which side you're on, I think you, you're getting caught up in all of these mechanisms and it's just wheels grinding, you know, and it's all it's all theater of war. I mean, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, my th my throat is really starting to hurt here. I've been talking okay. too much for some reason. I know. We have been for two hours now. Uh, could I just ask uh, one, one more thing, please, uh, Jan? Uh, sure. Does Tavistock tie into any of this? 
Uh, Tavistock. You yeah. mean your 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 organization to get the soldiers back out of the fields and start killing again? That that one. Uh, so Thomas. I already I already mentioned uh, Alan Trist, right? Well, he's the son of Eric Trist of the Tavistock Institute. Alan Trist worked with the, the Grateful Dead. Dead. Right. <laughs> it's like they're all uh, connected, isn't it? It's it's crazy. Uh, oh, are they? Well, they are. No, you should you should spend a few days going through my database. They literally are all connected. You know, so the Grateful Dead we'll tied that, to yeah. Robert Hunter, tied to Ken Kesey, uh, tied to the CIA and Central Intelligence Agency. Ken Kesey tied to Aldous Huxley, the Esalen Institute, Gregory Bateson, the Co electric acid Kool-Aid test, the 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 many further buses. There wasn't just one. There was a number of further buses. They made up the lie that it was just one um, right. behind the the psychedelic revolution uh, tied to Timothy Leary and uh, Hunter S. Thompson and Jack Kerouac and. Dorothy Fadiman and Alan Nambla pedophile Ginsburg. And uh, that ties it that ties it to Nambla and the pedophiles and the beatniks and the Naropa Institute and the New Left and the Summer of Love and the Beat Generation. And, you know, Daniel Pinchbeck even is, you know, you know, uh, Alan Ginsburg used to stay at Daniel Pinchbeck's house when he was a little kid. So. Right. What was that? Yeah. Oh, I was just talking about uh, MAPS and the Esalen Institute and, you know. MAPS, all, is, all it's, MAPS is a big CIA front to get, you know, psychedelic research normalized. Right. So that, right. what, what, let me ask you this, uh, generally, what was uh, Tavistock's goal? Oh, treating, wow. treating PTSD from bombs, right? Which they called shell shock at the time. Shell, shell shock, shock, right. right. So... Right. What are they treating with these map studies? PTSD? Traumatic stress disorder. There you go. Very interesting flyover. So yeah, it all yeah, it's all the same, same shit, different yeah. day. Right, right. But nice. you know, but it, but if you talk about this, you're the crazy one. Not not all the people blinded by it and, and yeah. promote, you know. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna check out your database, y'all. Definitely. Yeah, it's right on the website at the top of logosmedia.com. Just click on uh, the brain, and it'll take you right to the database. Uh, for, pain, the brain. Yeah, for, for, for pain members, they can download a, a full copy of the database and peruse through it, which it's a lot easier if you have the software on your computer and you're going through it than it is, excuse me, on the web version, but, uh, you know, it's doable, but you know, there's a lot more data that you can see on the app version. Yeah. How long have I, you been using the brain now? I started the database with point one being R Gordon Wasson in 2007. Seven. Yeah. So it's, been and now there's probably 13, 15,000 data points in there, plus all of the links and the, and the documents and all of that stuff that are in there. So, Anytime I'm doing research on anything or people send me stuff, I pour it in there and then I'll go oh, back. I'll go back years later, you know, because I'll forget stuff that I researched oh, yeah. and I can go in there and just type it up and boop, there is everything I researched 10 years ago. Right. Oh, and that yeah. just starts to open up other drawers, I'm sure. You know? Oh, yeah. 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 For sure. Very nice. Brilliant. 
And, and a lot of times I'll be researching something now and I'll start typing it in and it pulls up things that I put in there, you know, 10, 12, 14 years ago. Oh, like, so like, it's like a search engine type as well. Well, when you're type, when you start typing in a data point, you know, yeah. it, you know, and the connections to it, if they're related to someone else in there, it automatically pulls that person up as you're entering it. You know, so if the name is already in the database, it pulls it up for you. If it's not there, it becomes a new entry. Right. That's very handy, that, mate. I bet that saves you loads of time, that. Yeah, you know, and it, it, you know, it makes me, you know, it makes people think I have a photographic memory or something, too. <laughs> right, right. I love it. I love it. Uh, gentlemen, seriously, from the very start, uh, just mind-blowing. Uh, and to, to hear your, both your perspectives is fascinating. Uh, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for uh, having me. Thank you. Uh, and, and Robbie, uh, as always, mate, thank you very much. Uh, oh, would you like to let everybody know? What's that, mate? Yeah. I didn't sure. hear. I didn't hear what, what you that? said. What, what did you say then, Robbie? Sorry. Oh, I was just saying I was glad we could have uh, Jan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, I said, blow my mind, man. Uh, I can't wait to check your website out. Yeah, uh, I'd love to get a copy of the uh, show, if you don't mind, when you put it out. Oh, no problem. I'll send yeah. it over shortly. Okay, great. Do you want, do you want it in MP4 format or do you want it in MP3? MP4, if you got it. Not a problem, mate. Not a problem. Uh, Right. Do you want to let everybody know where they can get hold of you again, please? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, go to uh, logosmedia.com, L O G O S media.com, and just click on the uh, contact link there on the website, and you can uh, send me an email. And I try to get to every email. Sometimes I don't, or sometimes for whatever reason, they end up in the junk box, and it might be a few weeks or a month before I find it, but I try to get back to everyone eventually. Nice one. Nice one. Thank you. Uh, Robbie, do you want to let everybody know where they can get hold of you, please, mate? Yeah, you can just Google R Marks Artist, and uh, I'm on multiple platforms uh, as, as well as my own website. So, Nice one, mate. Well, uh, thanks again, gentlemen. Um, <laughs> you blow my mind. Uh, that was brilliant. Uh, I'm going to stop recording now. All right.